short, fine legs. Hey, welcome to Short Fine Legs, South Africa's premium cricket podcast, which is now proudly brought to you by Orko, Africa's favorite auctioneers. Orko are the biggest hitters in online and live auctions, featuring the best brands in luxury and budget vehicles and trucks, as well as furniture, appliances and gadgets for your home and office. The Orko team are also the biggest cricket fans out there, so naturally we're quite big fans of them too. Visit their website, www.orco.com, or follow them on social media so you're kept up to date with their latest auctions. One of the great things about cricket is that greatness is quantifiable. No one listening to my voice right now ever saw Donald Bradman bat live, and yet it is an irrefutable truth that he is the greatest batter of all time. Now, how do we know this? Well, his average of 99.94 stands as a numerical monument to his prowess with the willow. Runs, wickets, strike rates, averages, economy rates, and dismissals behind the stumps. These are the unfeeling, unthinking statistics that we use to reduce a human being's exploits on the field and how we dilute their life's work to black and white figures on a page. But of course, as you know, this is not the only way to measure greatness. Cricket might be a numbers game, But we love it not because of what it tells us to think, but because it invites us to feel something. Between the irrefutable metrics lies a world of nuance and abstraction and impossible to quantify emotion. There is no measurement for the way an A.B. de Villiers blitzkrieg makes you swoon like a Victorian lady or how terrifying it is to watch a Mitchell Johnson bouncer even from the boundary's edge. Perhaps this is what greatness really is, not the runs or wickets. But by the way a player makes you feel, how they make you want to pick up a bat or ball, how they invite you to dream and encourage you to mimic their movements. And if that is indeed a measure of greatness, perhaps we should consider the impact a chubby teenager from Grassy Park made us feel in the early years of South Africa's hard-fought democracy. In the first part of this two-part special of Short Fine Legs, we'll be exploring the impact that Paul Reagan Adams had on a cricket field and on the culture of a nation still coming to grips with racial unity while the embers of apartheid burned in the background. I'm your host, Daniel Gallen, and even though I had no aspirations of ever bowling Rispin, I believe Paul Adams' action is the one I imitated most when I was a child. And if you're listening to this, I'm confident you know what it looks like. But just in case, here's a refresher. He darts towards the wicket with both hands together, looping his arms as he does so. The momentum of his arms launches his body in the air. It is at this point that he squares his shoulders, his right hand lifts so his elbow faces towards the batter, his left hand holding the ball rises behind his head. His left foot lands and acts as the launch pad for a contortion of limbs once likened to a frog in a blender. His back bends forward, pivoting at the hips. His right hand almost drops to the floor as his left arm whips over his body. Most yoga poses don't require backbends like this. His head dips below his right shoulder as his left arm whirls over the top, delivering the ball in a manner that is both loopy and fizzy. If you slow his action down, um, it looks that at the point of delivery, he's actually not looking at the wicket. That's Zahir Adams? No relation. He's a cricket journalist with The Independent in South Africa. He's known Paul since he was a child. Both of them played for Blue Bells Cricket Club in Cape Town. 
Not many journos have the same relationship with a player in the way Adams has with Adams. You know, he's looking down, he's looking at square leg, basically. You know, um, at, the, at the actual point of delivery. So, so how does the ball land up on the other side, you know, on a particular spot? Even Paul himself doesn't know how it happened. It, it, it was just something natural. Um, picked up a ball, had that action. And obviously, through the years of growing up, I played in the backyard with tennis ball and tried various grips. Um, we don't have access at, at what kids do have now of the internet. There was no internet, there was no YouTube videos to learn and, and watch. We were also in isolation, so we weren't getting a lot of uh, international cricket and things like that. So a lot of those things were self-taught. Um, just my brother and speaking to people around um, in our club cricket, you know. So um, I developed also that two-finger grip to turn the ball away and I would change my grip to get the ball going in. Um, so it was a lot of self-taught things and and sometimes those, are you're just finding a way of how to be successful and how to be effective in, in a game of cricket. Um, and uh, yeah, it just developed over time and um, and then later on, I really started understanding what I was doing with the ball and, and, and yeah, and worked on accuracy and all of those things. It's one of uniqueness and um, it's just something that I always tell young cricketers is that we're all different. We, we, never, we never copy and paste and become the, the same type of bowling action. I think in, in world cricket, you'll find that sort of, sort of things. And mine was very unique. Uh, it's all about how do you become effective how do you become of use for your team to win a game how do you you know and uh, if you have that mindset if your action is different but you spinning the ball you're landing the ball in the right area um, and bamboozling batsmen you can be effective we'll get to how effective he turned out to be but first let's get into his history so when he played at blue balls growing up um you'd obviously gone to plumstead um high school as well we you know we think we also encouraged him to bowl to bowl spin but a big part of his, his development was actually um, he had made the West Browns under 19 B side um, that year, and um, and for some reason uh, at that time the Coke selectors believed that a you know a, a traditional off spinner you know with a classic action would be would take more wickets. South African cricket, with its bouncing seam index, is a land filled with fast bowlers and seam bowlers and swing bowlers. Tall men who run up and hit the deck hard. Occasionally, a spinner is invited to the party, but there are rules. You need to be able to hold up an end, to conserve run rates and the energy levels of the snarling quicks. Adams was an outlier among outliers. But Kogi, um, as he got called later, he, he actually made the SS school's B-side. And again, was purely, um, he, took, he took wickets at, at the Coke week, but at the... the, the Going around was the, the the noise around him was how can we pick somebody with an action like that for in the SA school side? You know that was the you know the the, the method of what was it, the mindset at the time? You know that um, that was long before T Twenty cricket and all these innovations. It was quite conservative back then. Not only did his bowling style single him out, he was a kid in a man's world. He was playing first team club cricket at fourteen, and would be representing his province and country before his 19th birthday. This guy couldn't have stood out more if he tried. Then, of course, there was the colour of his skin. Paul Adams is what the South African government still classifies as a coloured person, 
He is neither black, African, or white, Caucasian. But neither is he a mixed race. Just two years before his first-class debut with Western Province in 1995, the colour of his skin meant he was regarded as a second-class citizen in his own country. But with the ball in his hand, he was otherworldly, bamboozling batters no matter what their melanin count was. And just three weeks later, in December 95, in only his sixth first-class match, he got the chance to twirl a few with the touring English and Kimberley with the South African A-side. Lance Clusen and Jacques Cullis also played in that match, but it would be Adams who stole the show, picking up 4 for 65 in the first innings and 5 for 116 in the second. Among his victims in that six-wicket win were some of England's biggest names, including nabbing both Alex Stewart and Graham Thorpe in both digs. Overnight, he became a national sensation. His action, his wicket-taking ability, the colour of his skin, it was a dream concoction for a country desperate for feel-good narratives. Months earlier, the Springboks had won the Rugby World Cup with Chester Williams on the wing. Now cricket had its own darling to prove it was on the path towards racial unity. As Zahir says, South Africa latched on him as, as that poster boy um, that they so desperately yearned for. That buzz grew to a roar after South Africa drew the first three tests. And after England captain Mike Atherton hit an unbeaten 185 in the second at the Wanderers, yes, that innings, now famous for his tussle with Alan Donald, Paul Adams' name was all anyone could talk about. He'd literally gone from playing club cricket to playing for South Africa in about three weeks. He played a club cricket game, province B game, uh, took six wickets against Northerns at, at Supersport Super Park, and the next week he was playing for SAA in Kimberley and bamboozing the likes of Graham Thorpe. So it was a whirlwind, um, you know, adventure. And that's what it was. It was an adventure. It was, I mean, when I speak to him, I, I still get goosebumps when I speak about it, like right now. And when you speak to him, um, he looks back and, and, he, and he'll always tell you that he can't actually remember what happened. It was just so fast. Um, and there was this huge clamor for him to play in the test side. And for him, and it wasn't, and it, and remember, there were no targets in the in those days. There were no, there was no quotas. There was no, um, um, you know, specific numbers that South Africa had to play. Yes, there was the the desire to to have this, um, you know, this poster boy and to show the world that South Africa has changed. But it was based on pure talent and ability, and the and the amount of wickets that he was taking in, and. And there were literally um, radio, radio stations and newspaper polls calling for him to be handed a debut after a month of professional cricket. I mean, that, that's unheard of in, in, any, in any sport. So, so that, was, that was just the, the, the drama and the, and, you know, and the excitement around Paul. And, and it, it was a lot. It was definitely a lot for, for a young guy that... that you know, from Grassy Park, went to Grassy Park High, then went to Plumstead High School, and to take in at the time. So it was, it was an amazing experience for, for everybody involved. Just put yourself in Paul's shoes for a minute. You're a child, a teenager, a wet-behind-the-ears, barely-out-of-high-school kid, now fielding questions about your identity and what your possible selection would mean for South Africa, not just the cricket team, for South Africa. Surely he was terrified. Definitely. That was a one-word answer, man. Yes, no, and thank you. <laughs> so, uh, it, uh, yeah, it was very daunting. I was never, never experienced things like that 
before in my life. Um, and uh, for me, it was the early trial and error, error and uh, learning as as we went along um, with media and having people around you just to protect and understand what who I am and that. And, uh, and later on, I just sort of managed it. The fourth test was in Port Elizabeth. Traditionally a slower wicket, spinners have always played an important role on the East Coast. In Johannesburg, conservative finger spinner Clive Eckstein bowled 52 overs in the second innings without a wicket. The next test in Durban was a washout, but the all-pace attack was never meant to last beyond that soggy encounter. The stars aligned. Paul Adams was selected to be the youngest ever protea at just 18 years old. Yeah, there was a lot of media. Um, back then, newspapers and pictures of me almost every day in the newspaper, putting pressure. Every game that I played for Western Province, I was taking wickets. Um, and all of a sudden, I was the right, probably the right place at the right time. And um, yeah, forced my hand and uh, myself and Nicky Boyer got picked for the, the test match out in, um, in Port Elizabeth for the Boxing Day the test match. Um, not knowing still if am I going to get picked or am I just being brought into the squad uh, for experience and all of a sudden the night before announced you're playing mate and uh, you're making your debut for South Africa um, at 18, the youngest to do that and uh, yeah, what a what a great experience and um, honour to, to have represented the country at that, at that tender age and, um, and, and just wanting to go out there and do my best. Captain Hansi Krenier broke the news to Paul who ran to the phone in his hotel room. Immediately got on the phone with my parents. My parents were fortunate enough to get a, a car sponsor. They came down um, to the Port Elizabeth test match and people helped out in putting them up in a hotel and um, make sure that they, they were there to support and watch. And actually a lot of uh, friends and people from uh, St. Augustine Cricket Club and everyone came down. Um, towards Port Elizabeth to support that. Um, so, at, uh, yeah, it was exciting. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was just yeah, great memories for, for everyone to have. Even with Adams collecting three wickets, including Atherton and Thorpe, yet again, in the first innings, South Africa could still not procure 20 scalps for victory. And despite the result, it was an experience that Paul will always savour. It was not just the fact that he was fulfilling his life's ambition, he now represented a new era of South African sport, which was not lost on him, even if that realisation happened later in his career. Um, yeah, at that time, I was just focused on, on cricket. Um, as a young young cricketer, um, knowing that Unity's happened, we were open to play international cricket again, and, and I'm one of the f uh, fortunate ones to, to pave that way. Um, it was really... Um, for, for another next generation and it gave hope and it gave a lot of inspiration to people and that's where the conversations were were, were going with a lot of um, older people within my my space, within my family, within my, our group and they would just encourage me to do my best. Um, as I said earlier, as I look back later on um, and, uh, and you realise the impact you made and at I'll talk further on down the line is when when um, former president Mr. Nelson Mandela would give me a call and I'd go have tea or have lunch um, at his house up in, in Bishop's Court or at, at Tainace here in Cape Town um, and he'll just talk about 
what sort of impact sport can does make within our communities and and how people are, like what I was doing could inspire the youth and and people within the country and uh, make sure you you're always making a positive impact on people and um, not knowing that uh, you could inspire quite a few people within the nation. Naturally, this came with challenges. No, it was, I mean, it was an absolute culture shock for Paul. Um, we, we'd grown up in Blue Bowls where I was telling you just a couple of years before his dad was taking, um, you know, 11 kids in a car and, 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 you know, and trying to push them all into, you know, get them all to a game. And then the next minute, he's, he's staying in these fancy hotels, flying all over around the country and, you know, and playing in front of, at Newlands. I mean, a place where, where I say we, where we as, as colored people were, were never allowed to go, you know, to attend um, for so many years. And, and, and suddenly, uh, Paul Adams from, from Gossip Park. Um, I remember one, one journalist calling at a, a, a blue-collar suburb where, 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 pe- where people share rooms and, you know, and, and mothers um, wash, wash dishes, wash clothing by hand, you know, something ridiculous like that. You know, that was, that's how he was referred to when he, um, when he, when he started out, you know. Um, um, and, but he was, he was just a kid that wanted to play cricket, that loved the game. Um, you know, he loved it. That was the one thing about Paul. He was very, very shy. He was, you couldn't, you couldn't hardly get, um, get a f- words out of him, you know, and, and the and it suddenly all these cameras were, were you know were, were on him and and even the, one of the, the the sad things that he will even ad, admit to is that he was so shy at the time that he, he he actually drifted away from his community at the beginning you know um, because he just didn't he didn't know what was the right thing to say who to speak to what you know how would it be perceived you know so he just kind of kept himself um, in those early years. And it was it was really it was a tough period watching him to see this this um, this, this 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 kid because that's that's what he was. Um, I mean, he was a hero to all of us um, growing up. He, um, a, a guy from from where we all played on on you know and to play for South Africa, um, we we wished him unbelievably well. We every every single game, whether it was in Paul in Poland, um, we drive through there to watch it. Whether it was. Um, you know, whether it was at uh, on, on on television, every single match, um, and when Paul came on, there was a sense of excitement. You know that obviously the you know the 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 action was was part of the lure, but just the fact that people, so many people wished him well, and and that was a hell of a lot of pressure for a young man like that. So Paul let the ball do the talking. On beaches and streets, in parks and private gardens, children twisted their bodies in imitation of a young man who had become an icon. And rather than wilt under that pressure, Adam sought to use it, to harness the love of his people, not just coloured people from the Cape, but all South Africans who believed in Mandela's ethos that sport had the power to change the world. It, it, it's a driver within, I think, a lot of elite sportsmen. It's, it's one of the big drivers for them. Um, if you, I've had conversations with Brayton Paulser, Mackay, all of them, and it's a big driver with, within us as, as the that young South Africans that were emerging out of, uh, coming out of the sport. And and it was so important for, for players like us to, to perform and get out there. For five years, Paul was a mainstay in the Proteus side. But the quirky outlier was always going to face adversity in some form or another. Opposing batters soon figured him out, and his action no longer carried the mystique it once did. 
Teammates and fans looked at Australia's Shane Warne and wondered why Adams wasn't as effective. And then there was the fall of Hansi Crenier and the new era under Graham Smith on the horizon. We'll get into all of that in a certain infamous incident that occurred in the Caribbean on the next show of Short Fine Legs. Shout for LBW. Oh, he's got him. That's well run, or is it? Oh, a fielder. That's out. That's got to be out. That's beautifully done. What a great.